like will you turn to the book of Mark, chapter 1. Chapter 1 of Mark's Gospel. The text begins at verse 38. But this text needs to be seen in the context. And that's beginning in verse 29. I won't read the context, but I sure do want you not to fail to see this text in the context. Beginning verse 38. And he, Jesus, said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, in order that I may preach there also, for that is what I came out for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. And a leper came to him, besieging him, begging him, falling on his knees before him, and saying to him, If you're willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Now you need to see that in the Greek New Testament. To know that he didn't just, you know, touch him like you would a hot iron, you know, and then move your hand. He reached out and embraced him. He, he drew him to himself. He pulled him toward himself. He touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leper left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away, saying to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news about to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city. Do you know that was in there? but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. I want to tell you a story this morning. And everybody likes a story. There's something about a story that draws everybody's attention. I want to tell you a story. Jesus had been preaching in the regions of Judah because he knew what his ministry was about. He had learned especially in the temptations in the wilderness that his ministry was not one of awesome public display but of intimate relationships. For when he was tempted by Satan to leap from the pinnacle of the temple, Satan was trying to get him to use his power to dominate and to control and to manipulate. But that wasn't the way. So Jesus gathered him up a little group of men, and they sat around and, he, and, and they talked, and he taught them. On this day of the context... He is leaving the synagogue to go over to Peter's house nearby. 
It was a custom in that day when a rabbi was an honored guest that everybody in the community came to the house and they formed a kind of a gallery that sat around or stood around and listened as Jesus, as, as the rabbi talked about religion as he ate his dinner. On this day, something unusual happened. It must have been something like this. When they got to Simon's house, his wife met him at the door, and she said, Simon, mother is really, really bad. She's worse, much worse. I don't think she can live much longer. Could you ask Jesus if he would postpone the meeting for a week? And Jesus kind of smiled as he pushed his way inside the house, and he went over where Simon's mother-in-law was lying on the floor on her pallet. And he reached down and he, he picked her up. He took her by the hand and raised her up. And the flush of the fever in her face vanished. She was healed. And somebody in the house must have run next door to tell her mother or maybe she was looking out the window as she was washing the dishes and saw it. This woman who had been gravely ill was well again and tending to a crowd of people. And it wasn't long until the whole town exploded with excitement. And by the time the meeting was over, everybody in the community, all the sick folks and the demon-possessed came and were standing outside the door. And Jesus began to heal them and to cast out the demons, and the town was buzzing. But there was one of its citizenry who was not there. He was a leper. And he had been banished because of his leprosy to live his life outside the city, up in the hills, in the rocks. I need to pause and give you a little history about leprosy. When somebody was diagnosed as a leper. He was banished from human society. The law said in Leviticus chapter 13, he shall remain unclean as long as he has the, as the disease. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone in a habitation outside the camp. And so they were bound to live their lives living in rags, disheveled and and, and, and alone. In the middle, in, in, in the medieval times, when a person had leprosy, the priest, after donning the stole and the crucifix, took him inside the church and read the burial service over him, for he was practically as good as dead. In Palestine, no leper could ever go inside a temp the temple, couldn't go inside Jerusalem or any walled city. And if he did, the penalty was 40 stripes. In the Middle Ages, a leper could not go inside a church building. And some of the old buildings still have little slits in the walls where a leper could watch the worship of God from afar. They're called leper squints. And they stood as these squints focused on the holy table and they watched the worship of God from afar. If a lever went inside of a, of a house, it became contaminated all the way to the beams of the roof. And you couldn't speak to one in public. And you had to stand, a leper had to stand 
four cubits from you. And if the wind was blowing from the leper towards you, he had to stand a hundred cubits away. And one rabbi by the name of Meyer said, I would never buy an egg sold in a street where a leper passed. And these men of God often would brag about stoning the lepers to keep them at a distance, but most of them, when they saw a leper, would turn their heels and run and hide. There was nothing that isolated man from man like a leprous. And so he lived out alone. He could hardly remember what his kids looked like. It had been so long. But he could never forget the day he saw for the first time the telltale signs of his own leprosy, little white blotches on his earlobes and hands, and the day he was banished by the high priest to the hills. At first his family were, were going to kind of keep up, you know, with, with him. And so every day they would come out as far as they could, and he would come down from the hills, and they would talk. Honey, how are you doing? Oh, not too bad. Don't worry about me. I, but I am awful lonely. Hi, Daddy. When are you coming home? Well, as soon as I can, sweetheart. But after about a year, the leper relinquished. His life stopped, but it wasn't necessary for theirs to stop. And it really wasn't fair to them to keep them bound to a hopeless leper. And so he broke it off. Not all of a sudden up front, he didn't just say, don't come back. He, he used some flimsy excuse like, you know, honey, my feet are swollen so bad. I, it's so difficult for me to come down from the hills to meet you. I don't think you should ever come back. At first she protested, but he said, no, I insist. It's best for you. It's best for me. Don't ever come back. And he watched her as she went away, and he cried. And every day she came, and every day he came down as far he as he was permitted and hid in the rocks where she couldn't see him. And she cried, and he cried. And every day she came, every day, and then once a week, and then once a month, and then only on anniversaries or birthdays. And he sat alone in his loneliness and wept for her. And this night he was watching there alone, as he saw this town explode, he heard them scream, I'm healed, I can see, I can walk. And he must have thought to himself, it's got to be that Nazarene rabbi. It's got to be him. I've heard about him. And he made up his mind and resolved to himself, the next time I have an opportunity, I'm going to come to him. And the day came. And he saw this entourage coming back toward Capernaum. And he thought, it's the Nazarene rabbi. And so he gathered up his rags around him, and he ran straight down the road, straight to Jesus, screaming, unclean, unclean, with the covering over his lips, hoping that the entourage would turn and flee like they always did, and run they did. And when they got about 200 yards away, they turned around to discover that Jesus had not run. And kneeling before him was this leper with his face to the ground, so disfigured he didn't even want Jesus to look at him. And then a gasp went up. For Jesus did what you never do. You never touch the untouchable. A gasp went up for Jesus took the man and drew him to himself, embraced him. 
And for the first time in years, he felt the touch of human love. And like a dam broken, the eyes filled with tears until they poured out of his eyes down his face. And he sobbed, and Jesus sobbed, for he knew what it meant to be alone. And he knew how far he was away from home. He was away from home also. And when the man could talk again, he said, You could heal me if you wanted to. And then all of a sudden he looked and he drew back from Jesus and he was healed. And he went running into the city, leaping and shouting, racing to see his family, spreading the word he was not told not to speak. For how do you keep something like that silent? And he went shouting and leaping and gossiping the gospel and he hadn't stopped since and I have a feeling that when you step into heaven he'll be there to say look at me because of him now I'd like to send you home with that little story but there's some lessons that just demand to be heard from this story the first is this I couldn't help but think when I read and reread this story how often we have felt like that leper. You know the feelings, don't you? Feelings of contamination and aloneness, feelings of rejection and unworthiness, feelings of being unloved, feelings of being uh, despised and abused. You all know the feelings, don't you? We've all felt them. I suppose that what I'm discovering is true after 34 years of preaching. There is in this country an epidemic of self-doubt. And the feeling I am hearing expressed more and more are feelings of anxiety and unworthiness and inadequacy and inferiority. And there is this nagging inner dialogue that I hear over and over again from people. I'm not worth anything. I can't do anything right. Nobody loves me. I'm not worthy of love. Nobody cares about me. Nobody loves me. What happens to a person like that when he's saved? Well, half of his mind believes the love of God and accepts the forgiveness of God and feels the peace of God but then something stands up inside of him and screams it's not so it's a lie don't pray there's nobody out there to hear you God couldn't love you God couldn't forgive you you're too bad you know the feeling don't you and I suppose that's why we put on our mask and pretend something we're not because we don't want people to know what we're really like. I mean, they might not like us. And that's why we say those things that keep people at arm's length. We all know how to say the words unclean because we don't want people to get too close to us. They'll see what we're really like. We don't want to get people to get close enough to us to see the spots. And we feel those flaws and we cover them, but we feel they're there nonetheless. We've all felt like the leper, haven't we? And there's something foundational about the fact that Jesus, well, you, did you notice this? That Jesus reached out and touched him before he healed him. The foundational truth of that is this. That Jesus understands that for all of your needs, 
all those things. But let me tell you the greatest need you have with all of the needs that you possess, and we're bundles of needs, the greatest need we all have is the need for somebody to reach out to us and touch us in intimacy. There is in some cities, or used to be, where you could dial, you know, a number and get the time and temperature. Now, Ma Bell may not know it, but we know it, don't we? That a lot of people, a great number of people, dial that number who have not the slightest interest in the time and temperature. What they want is to hear somebody talk to them. And one woman put it like this. I have such an intense desire to hear a male voice that I dial that number over and over again. At first, it did me well, but then I felt this shame that I had resorted to such. And what, of all those, what about all those 900 pornographic numbers, those sex numbers? I read an interesting comment about those recently, that people, the majority of the people who dial those numbers are not people with some kind of perverted sexual fantasy, but lonely people needing to hear somebody talk to them intimately. And what about the woman who drunk herself into alcoholism and taught her parakeet to say three words, I love you. The only living thing that said those words to her. A number of years ago, a soft rock music, soft rock song made the top of the charts. You could even understand the words. I love this song. Here it is. I'm not going to sing it. Desperado, why don't you come down? Why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences far so long now. Oh, you're a hard one. But I know that you've got your reasons. The things, these things that are pleasing to you could hurt you somehow. They're going to hurt you if you get close. You see what I'm saying? Don't you draw the queen of diamonds, boy. The queen of diamonds in this song represents riches, wealth. Don't you draw the queen of diamonds, boy. She'll beat you if she's able. You know the queen of hearts. The queen of hearts represents love. The queen of hearts is always your best bet. Now, it seems to me some fine things have been laid on your table that is suggesting that you, you, you've had an opportunity to enter into intimate relationships with people before, love and be loved. It seems that some fine things have been laid on your table, but you only want the things that you can't get. Desperado. Oh, you aren't getting any younger. Your pain and your hunger are driving you home. Freedom, freedom, that's just some people talking. Your prison is walking through this world all alone. Don't your feet get cold in the wintertime? The sky won't snow and the sun won't shine. It's hard to tell the nighttime from the day. Losing all your highs and lows, ain't it funny how the feeling goes away? Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? Come down from your fences and open the gate. It may be raining. There's a rainbow above you. Better let somebody love you. 
better let somebody love you before it's too late. I can hear what you're thinking. You're thinking, I want somebody to love me, but nobody will. I'm here to offer you this morning the most intimate relationship you will ever know with the greatest lover who has ever lived. There's a second foundational truth in this, and it's this. Listen to it. When Jesus reached out and touched the untouchable, the leper, before he healed him, Jesus was saying, I'm willing to come to the sphere of your repugnancy and your repulsiveness. I'm willing to come to you just as you are. It's not, go clean yourself up, man, and you'll be worth something. It's, you're worth something, period. And I'm, I've come to you just as you are. And I want you to hear this. For the motivation of the, of, of, of the cross of Jesus was not that Jesus saw that we were sinners and he didn't want us to be. The motivation of the cross is that Jesus loved us just like we are and came to us just as we are. And I've heard it so many times, I'm sick of it. It's not that Jesus loves you because he sees the potential in you. He loves you, period, just as you are. And into your sphere of repugnancy and repulsiveness, he has come. So different from the Pharisees, their means of salvation was exclusion. Don't touch this, don't touch him, don't handle him, don't handle that. And Jesus said, I love you like that. The greatest missionary stories ever told was about a Catholic man by the name of Domain. His brother wanted to be a missionary. Joseph Domain's brother wanted to be a missionary, but he got sick and couldn't. So Joseph Domain said, I'll be a missionary in your place. And he went to the South Sea Islands and lived there until he was 33, serving people in the South Seas. And then he heard about a leper colony on the island of Molokka. And Father Domain went to Molokka at the age of 33 and lived among the lepers for the rest of his life. He built houses for them and churches. He improved their water supply and health conditions. And when they died, he buried them. And one day he was cooking something on the stove and he spilt boiling water on his feet and it didn't hurt and he knew he had leprosy. And instead of getting down and railing at God because he had contacted the disease, the disease Joseph Domain got on his knees and gave God thanks. And when he met for chapel with the lepers the next time, he, he changed his introduction instead of saying, Brothers, he stood before the chapel and said, My fellow lepers, and they stood up and cheered. And when he lay dying, the nuns of the nunnery came, and certain priests, and they said to Father Domain, When you die, like Elijah, can we have your mantle? 
And he smiled and said, Why would you want my mantle? It's covered with leprosy. And when he died, when our Lord died, he was covered with our leprosy. And they poured on his head the iniquity of us all. Because he loved us just like we are. I have one final word. It has to do with sensitivity. In my reading about leprosy, I found this. Listen to it, and then we're out of here. As I studied leprosy, as I studied leprosy patients in India, certain findings pushed me toward a very simple theory. Could it be that the horrible results of the disease of leprosy came about because the leprosy patients lost the sense of pain? The disease was not at all like a flesh-devouring fungus. It attacked a single type of cell, the nerve cell. After years of testing and observation, I felt sure the theory was sound. The gradual loss of pain leads to the misuse of those body parts most dependent upon pain for protection. A person uses a hammer with a splintering handle and it doesn't feel the pain, so infection flares up. Another steps off the curb, sprains an ankle, obviously keeps on walking, doesn't feel anything. Another loses the nerve that causes the eyelid to blink every few seconds for lubricating moisture. The eye dries and the person becomes blind. The loss of pain, the loss of feeling. Conclusion. When Jesus healed this leper, you know what he was essentially doing? He was giving him back the ability to feel pain. Have you lost that ability? Have you become so calloused and so hardened by the vicious battle of staying in there that you've lost the ability to care? And can you come to church and sing these songs and listen to these sermons unmoved and can you put your hand on the fevered brow of a diseased world and not feel it have you become so calloused that you don't have the ability to cry anymore then you're worse off than the leper There are three invitations this morning. There is somebody here who wants to love you. And he wants to take you in his embrace of love and forgiveness just like you are. Oh, you won't stay the way you are. But he'll accept you just the way you are. An invitation for you to come today to say, I want him to restore the sensitivity I've lost. I want to be a part 
of a family of God that cares. Our Father, You've touched our heart today. I see tears, I feel tears in my own spirit. Because I have, through the long process, come to calloused. Lord, we don't ask for breaking voices so that others will sympathize. We ask for broken hearts so that people can know we care. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you'll restore the joy of a burdened spirit. And I pray for those today who feel like this poor leper, alone, contaminated, unwanted. He might come, she might come to Jesus who waits with love and forgiveness and acceptance. I pray it for His sake and in His name. In a spirit of prayer, as we stand to sing, we invite you to come.